You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Once upon a time. Broadway Podcast Network presents Giants in the Sky, How Sondheim and Lapine Went into the Woods, with me, Fen Rimmelauer. Today's guest, Anne Hold Ward, the original costume designer. Anne Hold Ward designed the costumes for the original productions of Stephen Sondheim and James Lapine's Into the Woods and Sunday in the Park with George, receiving Tony nominations for both, and winning the Tony for her costume design on the original production of Disney's Beauty and the Beast. She also designed the 2006 revival of Sondheim's Company and James Lapine's productions of Falsettos and Dream. Her many other Broadway credits include John Doyle's acclaimed The Color Purple and the original productions of The Visit, The People in the Picture, A Catered Affair, A Free Man of Color, and Dance of the Vampires. There we go. Uh, Well, you know, I think Into the Woods is a particularly um, relevant show to the conversation about the intergenerational. um, I mean, obviously that's true in terms of the actual themes of the play but um but even just in terms of the way that it exists as you know uh one of the first of these sort of shows that was captured on video um and you know particularly in that the filming of it was directed by James Lapine so it wasn't just you know like a live performance capture I mean it's almost like a film you know that really uh represents the material in such an effective way and I think that explains partly why the reach of that original production has been so far. And, you know, even though the show closed after two years, I mean, it's like, you know, we think about it's in the third Broadway production now while Phantom of the Opera is only closing, you know. I think about that a lot. Because my my daughter was, well, my daughter was three months old when we did the original workshop of it out in San Diego. So, and and then I think Phantom has run that long as she you know, I, it's amazing to me. It is amazing. But the other difference is that because of that, you know, a generation of people, several generations now, grew up watching this home video of Into the Woods. And they did the show then in their high schools, in their colleges, in their community theaters. They starred in the revival on Broadway or in the park or in London or the theater, the fiasco theater with the, you know, <laughs> horizontal blinds as the stepsisters or you know brilliant uh innovation everyone made it their own which of course in a way it was primed for because it's these familiar fairy tale characters so it's such an accessible sort of gateway musical for people to get into theater to get into Stephen Sondheim and um you know I think that kind of explains a little bit of the rock star appeal of when you I'm sure probably you've seen this revival um that's on Broadway I've not seen the revival I uh it's actually it's interesting it's one of the shows that it's very hard for me to I remember seeing the initial revival uh and it actually is just one of those shows that is hard for me to see a revival of um yeah. and I don't really have a uh, 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 a deep desire to see the revival. It's you know, very. It has a very big place that, and you know, maybe a lot of it is exactly what you're saying. That that video, so so many people, and I I remember I've seen it, and I remember um, when uh, young designers started coming to my studio to show me their portfolios, and they had uh, they had it, it that into the woods in it. Yeah. That's the point at which I started to feel really old because I thought, <laughs> my gosh, you know, they're like, because they were, all of them were, you know, that one of the things they'd say was, I I saw the video when I was a kid and then I got to design it in college or yeah. grad school. So, yeah, so it, it does, it, you know, even in my reference to it, I see so many people that, sure. uh, yeah. So, you know, it's it's such a significant show just in terms of its cultural impact. And because it's from the time uh, before the internet, there are not, you know, uh, a lot of things on the record of the development of this of this major piece. Mm-hmm. And 
Uh, James Lapine wrote that incredible book about Sunday in the Park with George that was just such a granular um, chronology of how that incredible show came to be. And, and it made me really hunger for that to exist about Into the Woods as well. And of course, it was wonderful to talk to James Lapine. And, uh, but it's been like almost like a, you know, Rashomon kind of thing because uh, everyone has just sort of, you know, their own uh, narrow experiences, you know, informs what they remember. And uh, even more than things necessarily being in conflict, it's that there's just gaps in what everyone so personally remembers. So I'm hoping to put together the actual, you know, story of how it happened. Well, you know, that's pretty true, actually, of Sunday, too. I think when James started interviewing all yeah. of us, was yeah. every, and that's kind of the fun thing, I think, about that book. Is every brings that, I mean, I certainly read the book and went, oh, well, I didn't know that happened. <laughs> I mean, you know. Totally. So, but that was kind of fascinating to me in yeah. like the different pieces from different people's totally. um and it and, and and it is interesting too some i mean once in a while it, and it's a real theater person who says they're familiar with the american theater taping of sunday yeah so many people know it from into the woods, you know, and then, and I guess it's interesting. I didn't realize. So James didn't direct the Sunday one, I guess, huh? Yeah, and yeah. I, I think that you can really tell the in terms of how it's uh, preserved the difference in you know that th this one feels like a James Lapine film. Yeah, well, I think too. I mean, I'm sure James talked. I mean, as I remember in the theater we really had much more, it, it was more static cameras for the Sunday. Yeah. It, whereas with, but of course you were in so much bigger space. For, yeah, yeah, no, it, you can't yeah. separate that. It's very true. So, you know, limiting in that respect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but so, okay, prior to getting into the Martin Beck, I, I'd love to know, I mean, you were a designer on Sunday in the Park with George. So it seems like not, um, surprising uh, after the success of that collaboration that you would come back and uh, work with James Lipine and Stephen Sondheim again and design Into the Woods. Can you tell me when your uh, awareness of this other musical Into the Woods began? Did you attend the very first uh, readings before San Diego at Playwrights Horizons when Sondheim was singing the songs? What did How, how did you first hear about it? Um, well, so the first that I remember hearing about it was when we did Merrily out in La Jolla. Mm. So that's the summer after Sunday opens, I yeah. believe. I think. That's right, I think 85. You probably know better than I do. Um, <laughs> now I do. <laughs> I remember uh, being in, I mean, I don't know, it must have been a Bauer producer's office. Maybe it was one of the Schubert office, but it doesn't seem like the shape of it is correct to be a Schubert office. The sh you know, the offices that are up above the Schubert and the Martin Beck there. Uh, it, we're in some, oh, it might have, well, you know, I don't know, it might have been like the Dodgers offices probably, but they were just starting then, right? But yeah. they, uh, off a huge big room and we were having conversations about Merrily. And at that point in time, uh, they come in and tell Steve's there and James is there and uh, and, and it's, you know must it Duck Stein must have been there because he did the set for Merrily. Um, after Merrily has closed or has opened. Yeah, well, no, that Merrily. So Merrily's what eighty one or so. Oh, this is prior to La Jolla Merrily. This is prior to La Jolla. Gotcha. So this is this is this is between the opening and April. April 17th, didn't we open or something like that in, in uh, for Sunday? And yeah, right, and, right. and then it's it's in it's gotta be very, it's May or well, how you're gonna the next part of the story is gonna you're gonna be able to get an exact <laughs> but this, this is 84. Sitting there, we're sitting there, James is standing, Steve is sitting, we've got research laid out, whatever. And um, and I think it's scenic. I don't think it's just my stuff. I think it's a bunch of things that are there. We're talking about doing it, at, and somebody comes in to tell them that they've won the Pulitzer. Um, 
so so that's how you're going to know the day is this going to be the announcement day of the Pulitzer which that's actually Googleable, unlike most yeah yeah I mean that's what when I was starting to tell the story wait he can find out so it's that day and we're there and at that point in time then I don't know who mentions it and it's a it's a great story because James is just so knocked out you know James is like the Pulitzer Prize, you know, so it was a wonderful thing to watch somebody get that knowledge, you know. Yeah. Um, and Steve, of course, was Steve. I mean, he was very just kind of laid back about it. Yeah. Uh, uh, although I'm sure he was thrilled. I mean, welcome to Steve, right? Um, uh, and so it's either at that meeting or very shortly after that, people are talking about the idea that Steve wants to do Merrily before he wants to go ahead and work on this new show. Ah. That's the first I know of a new show coming up. So we go out and do Merrily then that summer. And of course, then there's some months of then the Schubert's come out and see it and blah, blah, blah. And then there's so much talk about what are they going to do with it? Can they bring it? And they wanted to bring it. As I remember, you know, probably everybody knows this story better than I do. I'm just the designer, you know, but, but they wanted to bring it to off-Broadway. But it was such a big production. They couldn't figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. And particularly at that time, I think off-Broadway, it just, it was not fathomable financially and so then pretty shortly after that then into the next spring is the beginning of working on into the woods for out in la jolla yeah first of my knowledge of of it and do you do you remember any of the the reading there my understanding you know i didn't go to those readings i uh, um i do have uh, well, and it's weird that I didn't. Maybe I was someplace else. Mm. Uh, because, and maybe I went and I don't remember it. I mean, honestly, uh, that you think that. Re- and usually, you know, usually, like how I say I can remember the room. Usually, I kind of have visual images of mm. stuff that I can. I don't recall any, so so it makes me think I wasn't at okay. them. Um, uh, but that is then we're, we're, you know, the start of fairy tale research, blah, 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 to do that production is the beginning of what I can remember, you know, and, and then, then the workshop, then, because then, you know, there's another workshop of it. Yeah. So my understanding is that there was a, a reading at Playwrights Horizon, mm-hmm. I think December or Jan- December of 85, or January. Right, which would have been then, you know, kind of get through merrily, right? I yes, think. exactly. And then get to the, yeah. And then there was a uh, a well, actually, uh, during no, during merrily, is that right? There was a workshop at Playwrights Horizons in June of '86. Um, and no, sorry, that was a year it, after. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, like you said. What you said was totally right. And yeah. So, Merrily happened. Oh, that's weird, though. Then I must have been there. I must have. I, I don't know. Unless it was like totally. Are you sure anybody was there or was it just really? It, reading, it could know? have just been just like Ira Weitzman at, at, at the first one in December of 85. But I think in June of 86, there were more people there. And that was um, uh, they mostly had the first act. Uh, but like uh, already, Betty Buckley was the witch. No, and- no, that, no, that's not. No, there's something wrong here about dates because that workshop is actually really right before we go. No, no, the- she Betty did two workshops. She did one before San Diego. This is like the great mystery because oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Because she wasn't available for San Diego because she replaced Bernadette Peters in Song and Dance. Right, right, right. So she was still uh, potentially involved in Into the Woods at that point. She just couldn't go to San Diego. Then whatever happened later happened later. But um, uh, so... Were they workshops or were they readings? Well, they're they're distinguishing that the, the reading, the first reading 
was like Sondheim singing the songs, I think. The sec, the one. What I wanted to tell you about yeah. that is I actually have a recording of Steve singing Hello Little Girl. Oh, I'd love to hear that, that people talk well, it's about. it's a tape, it's a tape. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I still have the little cassette. <laughs> I have the cassette of Steve Sondheim Sondheim singing at his piano in that room in the back of, you know, his Dan place where he worked with the grand piano, the baby grand, um, him singing Hello Little Girl, yeah. Well, so I, I let's talk about the wolf because it seems to me that had to be one of the most, um, uh, one of the bigger challenges uh, in designing Into the Woods. Like, I'm curious how, cause I, you know, I, it's such a, um, I, I, I love the way that you designed it on Broadway. And I've seen productions where I didn't like that. It didn't work for me, especially in the film version. Obviously film is a different medium anyway, but you know, it, it, it seems like it's, it's definitely something that is not an obvious thing how to be handled and it uh I'm curious if there was a lot of uh thought or dialogue you know what was this the first sort of um uh idea for how to uh create the wolf costume yeah I mean um well so, so when we do the when we do it out in La Jolla there's a difference of who plays the wolf right yeah, it was the narrator playing right. John Cunningham as a wolf. Right. Cunningham, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, um, and then then Bob became the wolf yeah. for Broadway. Uh, but so and so, I mean, honestly, I think that the design was the same design. It was pure and simply the well. No, the design wasn't the same design. It, the, we had a design and we worked on it for out there with the with the uh, ability we had you you know I think it's it, it it's a fascinating production to look at historically because it is at the very beginning of us doing these shows out in regional theaters yeah. and of course that had to do with the Dodgers relationship I mean really Heidi and Rocco and Michael and and Sherman Warner, they're the ones who kind of figured that out. For yeah. That all has followed since that time for producers as yeah. a way to look at the work. We hadn't done that before that. Right. I don't think, I mean, I'd, I think it's- There might've been one or like, I think it was the Dodgers like with um, Big River came before uh, from the La Jolla oh, Playhouse, right? That's, I think that was 85. Here, like, about the same time. Right, you are absolutely right. Yeah, but it's just, but it's exactly like you're saying because I think you know before them there were uh, they would do these you know out of town tryouts at commercial roadhouses, but yeah. they didn't. It was not a nonprofit co-production with enhancement money like is so common now. You're right, right, and so and and I you know I I, I get maybe that maybe Big River is the first of that figure out you know uh, because. So there, so we did the, the, the La Jolla production, but with, you know, I think we only had one or two teams of people in the costume shop to make mm -hmm. the clothing. Yeah. Much of it was, uh, was just pulled from stock, what could mm -hmm. be reworked and, and, uh, and, and so that it was a, just a, a, a very minimalistic version yeah. of things. So. I, I mean, so then the design, the, the design for Broadway was really, uh, I mean, Steve had a lot of, Steve wanted the wolf to actually have genitals. Steve was the one who wanted to, you know, he's like, I, it should be real, blah, blah, blah. And I, I get it in relationship to the song, you know, that yeah. was what he really felt about was what, what was the song. And, and so, um, I mean, it, 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 it was a product of its time, shall we say. I mean, there was a lot of work on uh, on doing, you know, the snout and then making sure Bob could sing properly. Yeah. Um, and so the snout was really only a top snout. There was just a very small bottom. So mm. that, because what we found was that the resonance wasn't correct if it, you uh. know. Uh, and so, um, uh, Steve, you know, we we did some prototypes of all of that, 
and Steve came and, and listened to him sing. So uh, until we got what was the right, the sound wasn't changed on Bob. And um, was, that, was that during uh, rehearsals or in the, in the pre-Broadway workshop or well, during use? Well, you know, it's, a, it's just kind of a strange thing because what happens there is, is we start into the actual build for Broadway. I mean, and this probably wouldn't happen. I don't know if this ever happening again. We are actually on the bill for Broadway because at that point in time, we oftentimes had 12 to 15 week build in a shop. Nowadays, we're lucky if we get a four week build and yeah. like we figure, we consider ourselves blessed if we get a six week build, you know? So, but it was in a different time, you know? A lot of Broadway shows, they had uh, 12 to 15 weeks in a costume shop to get it prepped and ready. Wow. And so the actual build of the costumes started while they're doing that workshop. I think it's like in July, if yeah. I remember. I, yeah, July or August, maybe. Yeah. And then, so they are actually coming for fittings from that workshop to uh, to, to do, do fittings because we're at 890 and Barbara Matera's shop was at 892. Uh -huh. So they were were on the fifth floor and I think they were on the sixth floor maybe and Amazing. so they popped down for fittings so we were actually fitting the costumes while they were doing that workshop before they went into the Broadway so that sounds really valuable just in the exact example that you were discussing because had it been had there not been that workshop they wouldn't have been able to test out the fact that the snout affected his resonance and all that yeah Right, right, exactly. And then I think the other thing about that particular costume is just it was a it, it was a, a a product of its time because it's the first. Uh, there's a place in Boston that had actually started to use it because we're we're inventing more and more stretch fabrics. Then, right? She says as she's sitting here in her in her whole stretch, ready to go. <laughs> same, same, same. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, and, and so at this place called Hair Technologies up in Boston had taken machines that were weaving and knitting for pantyhose. So you see, it's got this, it's got, a, it's a mechanism to get stretched, right? Mm -hmm. And they figured out how to put synthetic hair fiber into it oh, wow. so they could make what they called hair cloth. So it was actually a cloth that, that stretched before that every kind of fur cloth just had this like backing on it that was like almost like carpet you know yeah. it's the first iteration of a fabric that could look like fur that actually had big stretch in it and so that was utilized and of course then by the time we get to doing beauty and now now yeah. years later these people have like you know they've mastered so many more better versions than that that was it was very thick and it you know it had some stretch let's say yeah. but not, uh like today is you know um so that was kind of and then and then the whole prosthetic chest that bob had it, yeah. it was it was a, it was done by um uh actually they we hired a bodybuilder and took a mold of his chest and wow. then it was done out of a malleable plastic that then then that was sewn into the hair cloth and that's kind of the the versions of and then of course during previews there was so much about how much should the genitals show or should they not show and back and forth and back and forth about about how much hair should cover them and what color they should be and I yeah. mean you know just <laughs> i mean it's funny because i mean that um it but it's the the chest plate in a way even more than the genitals he just there's such like a um like a sexy quality to you know and it just seems like it splits the difference between him being somebody like in a wolf costume and him you know having this kind mm -hmm. of human uh, attractive you know energy that and it's so effective in the what it creates in his presence with this girl 
Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think Steve really had the vision of that. Well, Steve and James both probably, you know, uh, yeah. of, of that sexuality and really helped me edit in that direction. Yeah. You know, probably I would have been scared to do that, except that they, they really have yeah. the vision for it, you yeah. know, just the work and, and were supportive. And, and of course, Bob then just took it to such a amazing yeah. voice and just the, you know, the inviting nature of him yeah. to that girl, you know, and Danielle together. They were. Yes. Oh, she's awesome. absolutely. Yeah. So then in terms of like in the, at the old globe where I guess there was three wolves, there's two wolves and three pigs, like. No, no, that- no, there weren't any pigs. Uh, the pigs come about, there's no pigs at the old globe. The, the pigs come about for this revival. Oh, in 2002, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I was very surprised for the pigs. <laughs> but, like, okay, so, but it was, <laughs> <laughs> um, but there but there were, because I know Joy Franz talked to me about how she, she was a wolf in at the Old Globe and then Merle Louise played her wolf cub. I don't remember that at all. Okay. I, don't remember a fitting of Joy France in a wolf costume. Maybe that was only in rehearsals because I did get hold of a video of the old globe and it, there's only there's only the one wolf and Joy yeah. maybe it was cut by then, but maybe it was not yeah. even something that I, was designed. I didn't I there were no I I I mean I I would I remember John in fittings. Yeah. That and I would remember pig fittings and I would remember Joy Franz in a wolf costume. I <laughs> <laughs> and then what about like I another thing that I had seen in a photo from the old globe was these sort of um caged looking things on the stepsisters' ball gowns. And I thought, oh, is this some like deconstructed, like, you know, surreal? And then I thought, oh, or, or is that just them getting ready? Yeah, that's gonna be them getting that's gonna be the underwear. Yeah, underwear scene when that first scene with Cinderella when they're when they're in their underwear and the the twisting of the hair you know yeah um, gotcha so that yeah. that would be an actual that's a realistic cage that would be under a ball gown yeah 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 I, and I thought it was like some pannier it's like a little pannier I think as I remember gotcha so, yeah waiting on a tax return hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Other than in terms of budget and resources and time and all that, uh, were there any sort of um, conceptual changes to the design from the Old Globe to the Broadway? Well, yes. I mean, I I did a, 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 a complete set of sketches, and it's my work that's on stage for Broadway. But, but was, would you say that you were just getting the chance to fully realize from scratch what you had been trying to find when you were pulling at the Old Globe? Uh, no, uh, no, because I, I think, I mean, I think that these uh, workshop versions are more complicated than that because, and in a great way for designers. Yeah. Uh, complicated in that um, the vision is being seen by lots of people. And everybody gets to have their opinion. Ah. Whereas what you as a designer are doing is you're actually supposed to be experimenting and learning the show. I mean, and it, so, so I think it's a double-edged short sword for designers because um, we have, uh, you're, you're going to do these out-of-town productions, which take a tremendous time to invent you have way less money, probably. You have way yeah. less facilities and people to work on it. And yet um, you're going to be judged about how how mm. how great or not great it would be for you to go on and design the Broadway. Interesting. That's, that's now, quite And I think it is a double-edged sword that yeah. we've learned to negotiate 
as we've done all these productions mm -hmm. out of town. And, uh, uh, you know, and sometimes it's a, a, a really wonderful thing. Yeah. I think it depends on the group of people and the yeah. kind of contract contract they've made with each other, emotional and aesthetically. Yeah. Yeah. The contract, how, how well that those situations all turn yeah. out. But yeah. it was most certainly one of the first of like, mm -hmm. let's take it out there. We're still, you know, we're still conceiving the show. We're still trying to figure out what it is. Yeah. And do it out there, you know, and then, yeah. and then like then I think after that, there was just a lot of, because most of it just had to be pulled and revamped and reworked. Yeah. And, I mean, there was just no staff. There was no staff and there was very little money. Yeah. Um, and so then I, then I did a, the set of sketches for Broadway and that's what mm. the video. And do, do you feel like um, having, you know, not been replaced and going from the Old Globe to the Broadway production, that the fact that you worked on that, albeit with limited resources, you know, is there any comparison in your ability to conceive for something when you've worked with it on its feet already and now you get to dream up that, the, what am I trying to say? The way you know the piece is so intimate at that point. Right, and I think that's the thing that I'm saying is a double-edged sword. Yes, that's, that's the good part. exactly why I'm saying that because yeah. what we get to do as visual artists is, is make those, um, I guess I, I would say that it's, it's aesthetic thought bonds with the writers, the mm. the, the composer, the the director, uh, in in the sense that we we as visual artists are are uh, we're we're not it's not our own visualization it's a yeah. visualization that we marry with the aesthetic ideas mm. and attitudes, ambiances, and feelings of those people yeah and, and so having a longer opportunity to have those conversations and experiment mm. it can be a fantastic thing right absolutely yeah. fantastic or it can be a really hard and trying thing i mean i guess it's the chemistry of the people you know yeah. and how it works out because i think sometimes those situations um are, are extremely difficult because you as at you you as a designer want so much to be able to deliver the product that you've yeah. promised, right? And yet the situation is so compromised that you can't. Yeah. Where the writer, the actor, the the composer, these are things that can be changed very rapidly. Yeah. They can change on a dime right um whereas the physical production cannot right yeah. so, so yeah. and i mean i think it certainly is i mean I, i'm fascinated by these conversations because that's a complete turnabout that came with things like big river and mm -hmm. into the woods that has now become the way our business works yeah. compared to if we go back uh to before that time they were building the whole Broadway production and taking it out to Detroit right? and doing it, you know, or taking it to Philly, um, taking it to Boston. So it, it, it really changed like the, this, uh, it was, I think a cosmic change in our, in our, in our physical way of doing theater. Yeah. Yeah. That I, okay. So, uh, I, this is so fascinating. I'm, I, I, um, I definitely want to get to the witch because that's certainly another major challenge like the wolf. But I mean, I, I don't want to downplay how much I'm so uh, taken with all your costumes for this show. I mean, I think that like any single character from your Into the Woods design could is an iconic Broadway, you know, like Mary Martin in South Pacific or, you know, uh, you know, Peter Pan or or Patti LuPone in Evita. I mean, I think of every single character in Into the Woods is that just memorable and, you know, and distinctive and, and effective. So I, you know, but I but I am very fascinated by the the, you know, the weird ones that aren't people. But I do want to ask about the baker and the baker's wife, because I've heard a lot of talk from Chip and Joanna 
and from James about how they saw them as sort of, you know, these, what, this is ridiculous, I'm in the wrong story, that they were these sort of Upper West Side New York Jews kind of thrown in amongst these fairy tale characters. Was there ever any thought that maybe they would look physically of a different world or was that not on the table at all? No, no. And I think those are probably really things that James shared with the actors and didn't share with me. Yeah. Smart, smart of him. <laughs> Say it. I so see it. Yeah. However, in the visualization of all of it, um, one of the things James really wanted was very graphic images. Mm. And, uh, and, and I think because he's a, was a, trained as a graphic artist and a photographer he the so the dynamic of the color and the very um the uh, shapes that i think are really do kind of embed themselves in your mind i would say have to come out of his really encouragement in that direction wow trying to find that and i think you can if you go back and look at that set of sketches even i think you can really see it wow yeah wanting that you know and so that that you know, then as a as a designer, I think you go to the drawing table with those things from your director in mind. How do I carry them out? And I think maybe that's part of why they do have that feeling of uh, of quintessential. Well, what yes. is Baker? What is the Baker's yes. quintessential? And and I also think a lot of that has to do with Tony Strachis's incredibly beautiful set. The, mm. and, and the fact that the clothes had that kind of graphic block-like nature to them and that set, the woods, was so ethereal. Mm. Was so, I mean, I, I oftentimes, like, if I'm in the country uh, and it's late fall, the tr- leaves are off, out of the trees mm. and it becomes sunset time, and you know, you've just got the silhouettes of the trees. I think of that set constantly. I cannot be in those places without remembering Tony's set because I think that he so captured that and that feeling you almost have always at that time of night in the, out in, when you're near woods, you're like, oh, yeah. what's going to come next, right? What's going to happen next? I mean, that whole oh. And I think he captured it so well. And then the kind of the block graphicness of the clothes in front of it was was a, uh, a happenstance that probably the only person who really realized that how tremendous that would be was Isla Pine, I think, because because he of his artistic aesthetic as a photographer yeah. uh, and. Uh, graphic artists you know just pretty amazing yes yes well it's 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 such a wonderful illustration uh to hear you describe that and to understand the relationship between your work and tony's and james's and and it it's such as a such a fan of that uh you know trifecta to hear you describe it is very satisfying um so thank you for that um so okay, getting on to the witch then. Um, I know that that uh, there there had been a lot of talk. Um, I know they're talking Ira Weitzman and Paul Ford and James Lapine in terms of the early casting for the witch about that she would be not from the fairy tale world and have more of a rock and roll feel. And uh, it seemed when I'm looking at grainy photos of the Old Glow production that maybe that was something that was carried into the design or maybe I'm just projecting it from having heard that in conversation. Well, no, I think it was, I think it was projected into the design and, 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 and then there was this part about entrails somehow, like she, her stomach entrails being on the front of the costume. I remember it. I don't know why. I mean, I I just remember that part of it you know? yeah and I think it was more of like a uh it wasn't like really looking like entrails but it was kind of this kind of uh dis- fragmented design that there was some beating in that kind yeah. of approximated that feeling mm. um and then and then when Betty 
and James probably has a better idea of how, when and how this all happened because then I remember having meetings with Betty where we talked about the design and then a meeting where we presented the sketches and those sketches were much more um, kind of based. She had a more ephemeral idea of the witch, I'd say, and it had kind of a Victorian quality to it. Uh -huh. Uh, and, and then, uh, and then when, when Bernadette became the witch, then I met with Bernadette and of course I knew Bernadette well yes. and, uh, and then developed the design. I mean, I knew Bernadette's body. I knew her yeah. well, and I knew how she would work in the show and, mm -hmm. and develop that set of designs pretty rapidly actually, because that happens between the workshop and the real production and that's yeah. like about a month we've got in there or something you know yeah yeah so um and then was there always the idea that there would be sort of three looks for the witch the hag witch the beautiful transformation and then the sort of act two glamorous yeah well it's pretty much written that way in the script but yeah. uh, but uh, you know it's funny because with betty it didn't didn't seem like we were doing that so much and there's I know there was no sketch there was a there was a a sketch of the of the old but it still wasn't like really haggy witchy it was more ethereal that you uh, know, in nature and then um and then a, and then kind of a beautiful version of it that's what I remember of those sketches yeah um and uh, and with Bernadette, by that point in time, I think the script is really gelled. Yeah. Operate, um, and of course the the her turning into a beautiful witch, the beautiful witch, the, the at the at the transformation witch was was completely just based on the idea of that it's Bernadette doing the role and kind of quintessential Bernadette clothes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> silhouette that she looks so fantastic yes. in and and it's the kind of frothy pink uh you know as the young Bernadette Peters beautiful mm. that was I and I think it was really successful because it did do that kind of tongue-in-cheek mm -hmm. thing for us as audience members totally too. when she says this is who I truly am yeah yeah <laughs> um that's it, so interesting. But it is interesting with you, when you say that about the number of clothes, there were a tremendous number of clothes for her. And that had to do with the tricks that are involved. Oh. Uh, because because I, I always say you can only, if, if you want a costume to do a trick, then it's all it can be is for that trick, mm. right? You can't, I mean, you can't think it's going to do two tricks or three tricks because <laughs> you're going to end up just making the three costumes together. Yeah. There were different versions of the capes as you went along. Mm -hmm. There were uh, the going from the ugly witch to the, to the beautiful witch. She only had 40 seconds to go down, do the full change and come back up. And so in actuality, she changed into most of the beautiful witch and took off makeup things uh, partially, like halfway through the first act. And she had a version that looked like she was in the old witch, but actually all it was was a front cover. Wow. So that when, and so, and the, the remarkable thing about that, I remember was, you know, then we'd get ready and tech to try the time. And she goes down and my wardrobe crew did the, did the complete change and she popped up and we uh, we never did it again you know it worked the first time and uh, thank god to this uh, miraculous crew you know they yeah. were but we but i had really tried to track it all the way through mm. of how to make that operate you know yeah yeah and then, and then the second act of course was just based on the idea of well, like the, the first act, you know, the cave that she has in the woods that's all covered in the veiny kind of things that are like so that she could be hidden in the trees. Yeah. And and so then that whole design becomes the inside of the cape, the red cape that she wore. Wow. Second act had all of that inside it. So it still had that design there, you know. Um 
uh, yeah, so that's kind of where where it was. And of course the silhouette, then that second silhouette is still, I'd say even to this day, it's still quintessential Bernadette Peters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, that is so interesting. I do, do all, are these um, sketches like in a library anywhere or can they be seen? Uh, the Into the Woods sketches went to there now at Lincoln Center. Oh, wonderful. Uh, I, I, uh, they're at Lincoln Center, but I believe they're in the process of, they, they have my, uh, all of my sketches now, except for the, the Sunday in the Park sketches are at the McNay, a museum, art museum in the, in the Tobin collection in San Antonio. But um, uh, Into the Woods is there, but I don't know that they, they're in the process of curating all of that stuff, you know? Yeah, well, that's good that they're in the process. Yeah, no, it's good. <laughs> I mean, I have I have uh, co copies of them, you know, digital copies, um, and but like things like the the uh, Betty sketch I gave to somebody long ago, you know. Oh um, no. Yeah. So I mean, uh, James has the uh, James has the. Um, uh, uh, the Jack and the Beanstalk, the first costume. Oh, cool. Uh, I'm going uh, to Yale on Friday to look through all of James's papers. So, maybe they, I'll see them yeah. And, and Paul Gemignani has uh, uh, had the wolf sketch because he loved the wolf. And of course, he looked at it every night from the pit. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I think that was a great costume. <laughs> <laughs> And the first time I worked with his son as an actor, yeah. I remember that Annie, I grew up with that sketch in your in my father's den. I saw it every day. So. <laughs> I love that. Um, well, so then I'm just curious, like um, in the run of the show on Broadway with replacement casting and then the national tour, uh, does, was there anything that was reconceived for any of the stars or, you know? Oh, was yeah. I think uh, oh, for... Uh, uh, the the major reconception was when a new witch went in, mm. and and it was completely reconceived for Felicia wow. Rashad, and then when Cleo Lane did the tour, yeah. I did a number of different things for her. Then, right? I mean, I think especially that the 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 transformation costume, that pink costume, that was Bernadette. It's not going to work for. I mean. The, the 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 joke of it, the tongue in cheek of it, only worked because it's Bernadette. So, um, so it was redone. Uh, and then it's kind of funny, you know, we reused those clothes out at the Hollywood Bowl, and I redid it there, the witch. And then and then they used them down at uh, at Tots in Houston. I think they used yeah. them for production. And it was redone. I did every time I've redone it for it, the it's the witch. I've, and I just guess it just like part of it is is making that work with the persona yeah. the, that we know as yeah. as that character. Then so um, of the character and who is the star, the persona who's doing it. Wait, so when it after Bernadette left, was there still a uh, additional look for the end of the first act, or did they go straight into what they would basically wear in Act Two? Then, well, Felicia had she went into what she wore for Act Two, but um, she had like a, a surcoat that went over the top that was all beaded. So in the transformation, she had that on too. Ah. Took that off. And I think she, then I think she actually, you know, the cape that I'm talking about with the vines inside of it, yeah. I think they all wore that uh, act on. Yeah. And and that, it just was actually, it's, I mean, it's kind of interesting because we did all this. It's only now in talking to you that I reflect on what's really at the base of it. I'm sure there was a lot of conversation yeah. about blah 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 but it's maybe only in reflecting that I can look and see oh mm. it, it, the reason was because yeah. of quintessentially 
whoever was in that role. And then what is partly so delightful about the transformation is that somehow partially you see a little bit of them. Mm. Star that they are. Yeah. You know. Totally. I did, I did, there was something on YouTube of Cleo Lane and I did, I, I, it was grainy, but I could make that out that it felt exactly what you're saying. Okay. I, I would love to see those Betty Buckley designs. That's too bad that somebody, somebody has them. Um, I'm so curious about a Victorian witch. In well, that. and then maybe I'm not describing it right. You know, it was, it had big sleeves as I remember. It kind of had more of a ball gown feeling to it. I, mm. And I can't tell you why. I don't remember the conversations. I'm sorry that got us there. I, yeah. You know. But 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 like um, it sounds almost like maybe like a Margaret Hamilton or something kind of. Maybe kind of more. You know, I don't think we ever talked about that. But now that you say that, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I just that sounds amazing. Um, wow. Uh, well, uh, this has been amazing. I mean, I, 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 I feel like this, I'm so glad that I talked to you. There's just absolutely uh, nowhere else that I've gotten any of this input that's been, <laughs> um, and it's- well, uh, But I, it's like with the book on Sunday, everybody brings a little different part, yeah. right? You were saying about the Upper West Side couple. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know? <laughs> I, wow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, I, I'm really grateful because I'll, I'll tr I've treasured this, and it'll be so great to have it as part of the podcast. And oh, uh, great, great! I'm glad it so much. Very nice to talk to you. I might have to send you another fan letter after I look through the Lapine papers. Thank you for listening to Giants in the Sky: How Sondheim and Lapine Went into the Woods on the Broadway Podcast Network. Check out episode 10 with Paul Ford, the original pianist. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.